shoulders bend. It's just a speck on the map of the universe. Transform. They get a different class of tourist here. Company's coming. Noisier. Pushier. They're turning this peaceful little town into dinner. Quitters, too. I can't hear you. Anybody out there hear me? We need a sheriff. Go check the elevator. Those hungry hairballs from outer space are on a roll. Let's just get help. Oh, who are we gonna call? Critter Busters? Oh! These guys are great. And they'll eat anything. We're gonna end up tomorrow's leftovers. There must be hundreds of them. Critters 2, the main course. You got nothing to lose but your lives. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Pod on the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that is covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my spectacular co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we? I am doing spectacular, like you said. And I am so, so excited to talk Critters 2. You know, anyone that listened to the previous episode can tell that uh, Nat Brimmer and I both love Critters with a passion. Mm -hmm. But Critters 2 is my favorite of the series for so many, so Mm -hmm. many damn reasons. And I am so excited. Excellent. Excellent. And we have a special guest with us tonight. You want to introduce our guest? Sure. We have... Dirk Marshall from the VHS podcast, as well as one of the owners of one of my favorite hot sauces, because yes, I do love hot sauce, uh, Marshall's Hot Sauce, Mr. Dirk Marshall. How are you doing, man? I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Jay, quick question for you, Dirk, where you do hot sauce. Do you ever compete with like um, pro pro wrestling announcer Jim Ross, (laughs) who I know does like barbecue sauce? Like... Do you ever talk shit on him? Like, uh, just like DM him and be like, "Hey, Jr., you know, like Shivani like hot sauce beef." You. No, this is the first I've heard of it. But no, we we do a lot of like community building stuff within the sauce community. Like, uh, like Portland has like twenty different makers, and we just invited everyone to come over. And mm-hmm. uh, and the only rule was they had to make a dish with someone else's sauce. And so we have like. We kind of build up people rather than try to take down okay. wrestling announcers. So, so you didn't have anyone that purposely made a bad dish with someone's sauce? And they're uh, like, oh, no. sorry, man. It's got to be your sauce. It's just got to be weak. Sorry. Yeah. No, but we've been – I was at a restaurant once, and the lady came over, and she's like, hey, I made a dish with your sauce. And it was this super crazy fish ball. I probably shouldn't even be saying this on the air, but it was – it was really awful, and I felt so terrible that she was telling everybody that, like, this is their sauce. And I was like, no, oh, <laughs> don't yeah. stop. You're like, it. no, that is stop not it. my habanero carrot curry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was bad news. So, oh, that's excellent. All right, so you're a much better man than me because I just feel like there'd be that one person I didn't like, and I would purposely make a bad dish. Oh, I would do like <laughs> Count Chocula with like. 
triple fire alarm habanero. Yeah. People would just think you don't know how to cook then. That no. was the problem. They'd be like, what is up with, how did, who wrote his recipes for him? <laughs> because he's clearly special in that department. Fair enough. Fair. Speaking of special, we are here to talk about the next film in the Critters series. We are here to talk Critters 2, the main course, the 1988 movie directed by Mick Garris, written yeah. by David Twoey, uh and co-written with Mick Garris. And they brought back a lot of the band for this movie. Uh, Scott Grimes returns for his role. Um, we have Terrence Mann once again as Ugg, and then Lee, so he's playing Ugly, and Don Opper <laughs> joining again as, as Charlie. I messaged him on Facebook, but I didn't hear back. John Opper? Yeah. Wow. For for your show or just in general? Just in general. I just told him we were going to be talking about the movie, and -hmm. and I was joining two people that I think are are big fans of Critters 2, but but I didn't hear back. A lot of people aren't on Facebook that much, but it was just the only way I could find him. Mm Mm-hmm. No, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I love this movie with a passion. It's, yes. it's actually the, uh, I, you know, I, looking back after the last episode we did, I was trying to pinpoint if I had seen the first or the second movie, uh, you know, first. And I, I could have swore that I saw the first one, but I was talking to a relative of mine, I, uh, my brother, and he was just like, no, dude, we saw the second one first. So... You know, I, I don't know if it maybe that's why I love this movie so much or, or maybe the fact that it's just really fucking great. Mm-hmm. But uh, Critters 2, you know, on the last episode, Nat had a really good point uh, that the first Critters, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a home invasion movie, you know, having to do with the family. And I, I agree 100 percent. And what makes the first film so great is that, yeah, it's a very it's kind of familial horror in, in the sense that, like, you know, and I'm not doing the, the typical Critters to Gremlins comparison, you know, but at the same time, you, you have films like Critters, uh, Gremlins, Goonies, which isn't a horror film, but kind of has that same kind of family genre tone. And I think that it's, it was such a magical time when those movies came out, because as a kid, you know, uh, like we said in the last episode, the rating system played a huge part in that. You know, mm-hmm. if you had strict parents, which I didn't, but if you did, you know, a lot of these movies were how you got into horror. A lot of them were gateway right. horror films. But what it, what Critters 2 is does so well right from the beginning is it takes that family dynamic of the first film and explores it so much better, I think. It's not just about a family. It's about the entire town and how they're affected. And it, it gets bigger. I love it. It's about found family in a lot of ways, which I think mm-hmm. is really interesting thing to explore and then also um you know we did touch a little bit last week on how this is a really interesting time period overall because you have with pg-13 being so new you are pushing the boundaries of what you can get away with i mean at one point the sheriff calls the townspeople a bunch of pussies um (laughs) which is not gonna fly in a pg-13 movie now um you have a scene we have a scene where, like, the quitter, the uh, critters roll over a person, and when <laughs> they reveal him, like, there's nothing left except, like, a bloody skeleton. Like, yes. it's really interesting how much they got away with. Well, well it's funny. You, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, since you mentioned, like, you think you saw the first, maybe it was the second. Uh, first, I have a very distinct memory of the first time I saw Critters 2, and it was... Uh, 
like I grew up in my dad's video store. And so when I was sick, I would go to the front of the store and he'd put a blanket over a table and I'd have a travel TV and my own top loader VCR. And I'd just crawl out and pull a movie off the shelf and then just put the tape in. So a lot of mm-hmm. times I didn't even know really what I was picking. But one, that one time uh, I picked up Critters 2 and that's when it became like this huge important movie to me because it felt like the first time I saw a film that was for me. I'd, I'd seen horror, I'd seen comedies, but this was the first time I saw all of these elements kind of mixed together in a way that I thought like, oh, you can do anything. You can have aliens, you can have spaceships, you can have, you know, the, you know, the constant changing of the critters building up to bigger sizes. And like, um, it's such a, like a magical movie to me in a way that when I put it on, like it's, it feels like my Star Wars in a way. No, totally. I, I agree with you 100%. And I think when people think about Critters as a franchise and just as films in general, it's easy to go back to how we experienced them as kids, as children, you know, with them just being these kind of adventurous, fun movies. Yeah. But revisiting them as an adult, especially when Screen Factory put out that amazing box set. I mean, goddamn, that looked good. But... Uh, there's so many really deep, uh, intense at times, like themes found throughout the films. And I think Critters 2 from the beginning, I mean, we, you know, we talked last episode about the character of Charlie, which I think is the true hero of the entire series. Absolutely. And Charlie, by Critters 2, Charlie went with Ugg and Lee, you know, into outer space, being one of the bounty hunters, taking care of business. Because what he found with Ugg and Lee were companions, were people who didn't judge him for his mistakes, you know, like the town did. You know, he wasn't the town drunk when Mm -hmm. he joined them. And there's a fear uh, in Charlie that when they go back to Earth and go back to the town for Critters 2, there's a fear in Charlie that, am I going to be a nobody again? Because he feels like he's somebody now, you know? He feels like he's worth a shit now. And like I said in the last episode, there's there's a scene the first time where Charlie sees Brad. And there's this kind of fear of like, okay, is Brad going to still think I'm cool? You know, like I yeah. feel like for two years in the storyline, two years, Charlie has had that kind of confidence and getting back on his feet and feeling like he's worth a shit. And then they put him back on earth for this movie. And it's very much about Charlie coming to terms with who he is as a person, not what other people think about him, but what he thinks about himself. And I think experiencing this movie again recently uh, when that box set came out, it means more to me now, I think, than it did as a kid, which says a lot. Well, when Charlie and Brad see each other, I mean, I haven't seen a more heartfelt reunion since Jim spots his mom in Empire of the Sun, if you know what I'm saying, just to bring yeah. in another film like you did in the first Critters one where you're dropping Pulp Fiction and everything. <laughs> uh, I just think Empire of the Sun and Critters should be in the same sentence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know when, when um, Charlie and Brad first see each other again, yeah, like Charlie, I mean, Brad even makes like a comment like, oh, are you still kind of drinking? You know, like everyone, you know, it feels like no matter what Charlie does, and he basically saved the farm last time. He was the one yeah. that threw the dynamite in uh, and had the idea to get the Molotov cocktail in uh, to blow up the, the critter ship, uh, but he's still going to be seen as the town fuck up no matter what um even by one of his best friends and that's why i think it's really like a sweet little moment at the end when 
you know, when Charlie shows back up and the sheriff like throws him the badge, which I don't think that's how law enforcement works. It is a very nice little moment, but. (laughs) Well, it's not like Tombstone where everyone's just dead. You know, everyone's dead. So by default, everyone gets Mm -hmm. fucking, you know, christened as like deputies and stuff. Right. And Critters, Critters has that kind of like 80s and 70s, but especially 80s, uh, mentality and approach to where like it's not just suspension of disbelief it's just fucking absurdity Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) like oh charlie you know you have no history of law enforcement you were the town drunk for however long you blew stuff up but here's here's a badge you're you're now in charge which i think is funny but in the third film they completely just disregard that yeah Mm -hmm. well and david ursine plays sheriff corwin right and he uh, he was also in Die Hard the same year and Halloween Five: Revenge of Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and uh, this being a horror podcast, I think you have to mention Jerry Maguire. Yeah, naturally, is, you know that's <laughs> as you do. Uh, but he had died earlier in the Easter egg scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And uh, so technically, that that office is really they're hurting. They they need to hire some people bad. Well, I mean, that and you have, uh, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, but Barry Corbin taking over, you know, as yeah. Sheriff Harv. And, you know, I, it's, it's difficult because Emmett Walsh did such a good job in the first one, but there's something about Barry Corbin that just kind of reminds me of, like, like my grandfather. Yeah. You know, it's where it's, like, you just have to watch him because he's just, like, authoritative, but still kind of down to earth, you know? And maybe it's because of, like, seeing Emmett Walsh and, like, Blood Simple and movies like oh, that. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's a force, but Barry Corbin feels like Amblin Entertainment to me, you know? He mm-hmm. feels like he belongs in a movie that is this, like, movie about uh, great characters. That's what I think Nick Garris said he was trying to make, is a movie with likable characters, and then build the horror and comedy around that. And Corbin is completely that. And, like, I saw Garris said that he thought the studio didn't want Emmett Walsh back uh, because he was difficult, but I looked up and, like, it's also possible that Emmett wasn't back because he was shooting Milagro, Beanfield War, Sunset, Clean and Sober, War Party, and Red Scorpion all that year. Jesus right. Christ. It's kind what of a, busy a lot. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's just. How you are you going to fit in Critters 2? I know. To, and, you know? <laughs> Barry Corbin did like uh, Stir Crazy, War Games, My Science Project, uh, No Country for Old, for old Men. Uh, but I mean, He's great. This, Northern Exposure? Yeah, this being a horror podcast, you have to mention Ghost Dad, right? That's- yeah, naturally. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned Amblin Entertainment because I think that's the perfect way to kind of talk about the director of this film, McCarris, yes. who I think to this day is one of the most unsung heroes in horror. Absolutely. I love Mick Garris so much. Everything so- from watching his interviews to his, his writing, his directing, and he got his start. You know, aside from his publicity and his interviewing stuff, I mean, he uh, he wrote for Amazing Stories, which was yeah. an Amblin production, Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg TV show, you know? Like, who better to take over Critters than Mick Garris? And what's funny is I've, I've read interviews where Mick Garris said that he wanted to make a movie that was scarier than the first one. But what's funny is we ended up getting a movie that's not scary at all. And right. I, mean that as a, I mean that in a complimentary way. Absolutely. I mean that as a... It's it's so wild and it's so much fun and there's such an irreverence and this playful playful vibe to critters too that it's impossible to be in a bad mood watching this movie. 
Like if there's, you know, I, I support medication for anyone that needs it. You know, I, you know, antidepressants have helped my life so much, but let's yeah. be honest. Critters two helps me way more with depression than, than Zoloft. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, like, if you look at how McGarris is in like an interview, that's totally like him in the films, like critters Two, you feel the love for the characters and the stories. Like he's not trying to just mess it up or something like psycho four, same thing. I mean, he takes these beloved things and he really sort of, interjects this like passion into them and i think that's part of why uh, king is so trustworthy with like sleepwalkers and the stand and the shining miniseries i mean they've done so many things together mm-hmm. you know it's like he's just a passionate dude but i don't think you can really talk about mcgarris without mentioning Buzzbucket, which is truly horrifying. oh disney disney classic right <laughs> but also because uh, when he worked with Buzzbucket, he worked with phil fondacaro who, mm-hmm. for people that aren't familiar with Phil, he was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. Greaser Greg in Garbage Pail Kids. Troll. Bonk, troll. I mean, he's uh, Nigel Pennyweight in Ghoulies 2. He's the Fettering in Tales from the Dark Side, a Hooded Dwarf in Phantasm 2, Dollman versus Demonic Toys, uh, Hellraiser Bloodline, Bordello Blood, I wrote these down somewhere, uh, and Land of the <laughs> Dead. So it's like, I mean, this guy is like horror royalty, but because most little people get cast because of their size... And they're put in suits. They don't realize that, like, this is an insane pedigree for the genre. Like, Phil Fondacaro should have, like, statues or at least articles written about him more often. No, definitely, definitely. And, and I think when talking about Garris, I mean, there's Ooh. such a love for every single thing he does. Yes. And it's so, so front and center in this movie. So I did want to ask about Garris a bit. I think at this point, to me, he's best known is either the creator of the Master of Horror television series. And yep. he's really the person that, for those who don't know, like there's like a very loosely affiliated club of like gentlemen and women that would go out to dinner in Los Angeles like once a month. Yeah. Uh, and they were all like, oh, you know, you get John Carpenter and uh, John Landis and Mick Garris and Stuart, Stuart Gordon. Like I'll go out to dinner and just basically shoot the shit. Um, and that blossomed into a television series that ran for two reasons, two seasons on Showtime called Masters of Horror back in the early 2000s, which was a phenomenal anthology series for well, anyone who hasn't seen it. There's there was actually three. There, well, there was there, there two was on a, Showtime, and then there was that really short-lived, really watered-down version that recreated right. itself, fear itself. Which right. So I consider is, that like a separate. Thing mm-hmm. from Masters of Horror, like I was going to say, that would be the next, the follow up. But that, even that, I mean, for network TV, it had some very good episodes. I, I love the Masters of Horror series, mm-hmm. and I, I actually really enjoyed the Fear Itself series too. So I'd say he's either best known for that, or possibly now his, you know, his podcast, Postmortem, which is him basically sitting down and waxing rhapsodic and shooting the shit with basically every big name in horror. And it's a really entertaining and fun and informative listen. Well, he's, uh, what's great about that is he's done that for so long. Mm-hmm. Like even Since 2010, post, right? Well, even before uh, post, uh, post-mortem. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, those old interviews, I would spend hours watching his interviews with like, like Carpenter, Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is something so entertaining and like almost entrancing about watching Mick Garris interview people because it, like 
as somebody who does that for a living, you know, like a big part of what I do as far as writing is interviews. Like I, it's just my biggest, my biggest influence as far as interviews has always been Mick Garris, mm-hmm. you know, because it doesn't, none of his stuff ever feels like, and this, this does have to do with the movie. It, it, I'll go back there. But none of none of Mick Garris's interviews feel like the typical publicist-led interviews that right. so much of us hate doing. You know, a publicist would be like, hey, do you want to interview this person? I'll give you 10 minutes. Only ask about this movie. You know? <laughs> like, right. you, 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 you listen to something Mick Garris does, and it's This like, movie you haven't even seen, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And there's, there's such a great, like, conver- conversationalist approach to Mick Garris. And I think that that does translate into his filmmaking it feels personal watching this, but yeah. in a way that it does – like he takes something popcorn like Critters 2 and makes it feel personal. And yes. I, I think it doesn't even just go to that. I mean some of his books – he did this great uh, book, and I have it somewhere. I believe it's called Skin, and it's so good, so good. Uh, uh, he's, he's just a great figure in horror and filmmaking in general, and I think he was the perfect person to take over the series – there's the comedy hits so well the jokes they're not just one-liners like it's it's like volleyball with mick garris in this movie it's set up and it's spiked so hardcore and what bums me out is david tui the other writer he is so embarrassed of this movie like i read an interview saying that it's, it's like the low point of his career like this dude wrote the chronicles of riddick you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I, you know, I'm not talking shit about Pitch Black. I will defend that movie to the death. But he wrote, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, he wrote Waterworld too. Exactly. And Critters Two is what you're embarrassed of. Critters Two is at least fun. Do you think it's better than Warlock and Warlock Armageddon? Uh, I, I think Critters. I think Critters Two is is better than I don't know Halloween Two. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, uh, any okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I, the question I had, what would you say is the quintessential Mick Garris movie? And the reason I ask that is when I think of Mick Garris, I mostly think of like the 90s and the, the 90s t- made for television adaptations of Stephen King movies. Like he did the kind of like infamous version of uh, The Shining yeah. starring Stephen Weber, which was Stephen King basically saying, you know what, this is how much I hate the Kubrick version. I'm going to write the television version. My friend Mick Garris is going to direct it. And and get the guy from Wings. Right, and get the – who I think is great, by the way. I love oh, Stephen. You know, this is – this. look, there is zero room to talk shit about Stephen Weber. There's just, zero room to talk shit about that shining. I, I, Dude, I love Kubrick's movie, but I love Garris's as well. It, like it, it's, it's a different entity. I think if you did that now – and did it with prestige television and could do it in a way where it actually had the budgets that it would need and the care that it should have, as opposed to like, this is just something that's going to fill like six hours on network television. You could get something like really special, but yeah. he did like, I think desperation, um, which is a Steve really, really uh, kind of pulpy Stephen King novel. Um, he did the screenplay for like riding the bullet Um yeah. Trying to think what else he was like you said, um, Dirk, he was the one behind the stand miniseries overall. Yeah. Um, so when I think of like Mick Garris, I typically think of these made for television um Stephen King adaptations, which don't really get the love that I don't know if they deserve overall. They're a product of their time, 
Like when you think of like the Stephen King Renaissance, maybe that we're going through now, they're a little bit less lesser than overall. But I, I, what what uh, would be the quintessential like defining Mick Garris movie? Well, for me, it, it probably either Critters Two, uh, Sleepwalkers, The Stand, or Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. To be honest. Because, I mean, yeah, Hocus Pocus was written and rewritten by so many people, but at the end of the day, when I think of that movie, I think of Mick Garris, you know? Or or Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's also a movie that me being 12 years old, seeing it in the theater, like, I thought it was the fucking coolest thing ever. You know what I mean? Or or The Fly 2. It's not Cronenberg's movie, but it's such a fun movie. I mean, Battery's not included. Another Amblin movie. You know what I mean? Like, he has such a good career i mean even recently like i loved nightmare cinema you know yeah like like you get with any anthology it's not perfect there's some segments that are better than others but as a whole it was a lot of fun it's a very good anthology it's a wonderful looking intro too like the Mm -hmm. wraparound and everything just the way that it's kind of shot and puts you in the different stories it's just really well put together and i was so excited that it actually is an anthology that played in theaters which is such a rarity no, totally. But yeah, I would I, say, for me, Critters 2 or Psycho 4 would be, like, yeah, quintessential. Just because look at what he's stepping into with Psycho 4. And then for him to do what he did, it's uh, it's a feat. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it's like doing a Doctor Sleep where you're merging two, two different, very different worlds together to make something cohesive. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's impressive stuff. Also, I think that Mick Karras should be credited with keeping Pantene Pro-V in business. <laughs> Because that man has yeah, his, like the most hair. immaculate hair on a man possible. It's true. <laughs> he could be in one of those trolls movies, you know, just like right. with that hair. Oh god! As a it compliment, is, it is glory. I mean, it is absolutely glorious hair. There's absolutely. No, but this, is, this is a guy that like his history is so rich. You know, he, he was a zombie in fucking Thriller. Yeah. You know, like he played reporter number two in The Stupids. <laughs> oh, wait, he operated which Star Wars character? Was it R2-D2 at the at the Oscars or something? Yeah, I believe like, so, yeah. I forget which one, but it's like, I mean, that's, it's crazy. His whole history is madness. But while we're talking about Critters 2 and sort of the, the look and everything of it, I just wanted to touch on the editor. Oh, Do yeah. Do you guys know who edited this thing? It's Charles Borstein. Yeah. And, like, I had no idea. I've seen this movie so many times. And I was like, well, I'll just look it up. And then everything listed for it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is this is crazy. Yeah. And he's still working. Like, Howard the Duck, like, what, Close Encounters, uh, Halloween, the original Halloween, The Fog, mm-hmm. Return of the Living Dead 2, Howling 2. Uh, he did Merry Christmas, Drake and Josh, uh, since this is a horror podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's crazy. Like that, that the amount of, um, like you said in the beginning, uh, Mike, that Mick brought a bunch of people back and Mm -hmm. anyone that he didn't bring back is like another equally talented person that worked on this film. It's very impressive. Mm -hmm. Even what I I love about this movie, even not only just the the main characters, I mean, because obviously we have Brad coming back, you know, Scott Grimes. Yeah. You know, we have uh, different, you know, Charlie, uh, that kind of stuff. But I love that Lynn Shea's back as Sally. Right. You know? Yes. Like, she's such a small character in the first film that, like, like, even as a kid, there was, like, this familiarity watching Critters 2. 
because because the first film did a great job of showing these characters, and the second one just hits the ground running with all yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, know? there's a and, lot of connective tissue between the two movies to make it a cohesive story overall, but you do get what I wanted more of in the first movie, which is watching the critters run amok in the town as opposed to just like a farmstead. Yeah. And, and when they do, like it makes for some of the best sequences around. So fun. Like top, probably top 20 scenes of all time for me. One of them is the hungry heifer scene. in Critters too. Like everything from that stupid little jingle to just like, Oh my God. You know, where like the, the critter get or the crate gets scalped. And he just looks like bitches. It's so much fun. But like even even leading to that, uh, I think one of the, my favorite things about Critters 2 is the playfulness that comes with the character of Lee. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and it's, you know, Nat kind of touched on it in the first episode. And I, you know, I don't want to steal his, his kind of take on it, you know, because I, I think maybe he has stuff a little more profound to talk about it. So maybe he could touch on it when, when he comes back for episode three. But in a lot of ways, the character of Lee does kind of show that kind of transgender approach, yeah. Yeah. you know, and because because Lee goes through all these different uh, looks until, you know, and until they they're comfortable with who they are. And I, I think that it, it plays on everything from kind of like the early 80s Porky's mentality, you know, with with Lee finding the playboy and kind of, you know, assimilating yeah. that look. To what is easily, and I said this in the last episode, the biggest horror fan blue ball scene of all time, in my opinion, where Charlie goes, sees Lee, look at uh, a cardboard cutout, I believe, of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. And we almost get Lee as Freddy Krueger as a bounty hunter. Like, the potential is so huge that, like, oh, you know, as, as... you know, as an adult, I understand why. I mean, obviously, you don't want Freddy in the Critters 2 movie. But as a kid, I spent so many hours just furious that they didn't follow that through. Yeah, when you think I about were... it, within this time period, you had New Line very shortly would have the rights of the Friday the 13th franchise. You mm-hmm. could have had like a Elm Street versus – you could have had a Freddy versus Jason versus Leatherface versus Critters movie oh my lord it's been i remember jason in space to fight the critters basically i remember being on the playground and having that conversation of like you know but it would have been so cool and i was like i said i said to this kid well he wouldn't be able to shoot the gun and it was like what i was like because he wears the glove on his dominant hand so like and the kid just stared at me like what <laughs> just, you know much, like much hearing that story that. makes me feel so good because i would have all those conversations with kids at my school and i would yeah. get really technical and they would just like punch me in the in the face <laughs> that was that was always their response to like me dropping some knowledge like oh yeah well here's a wedgie you know you're going yeah. in the toilet for you know saying that you know jason wasn't in the first movie uh, uh, mine was just looks of <laughs> bewilderment and, and sadness at how much I had sat alone and thought about this. But even like the year it came out, I mean, 1988 to this day for me, just in my opinion, is one of the best years of horror of all time. You know, like you have Halloween 4, you know, you have Phantasm 2, oh, you yes. know, there are so many movies that came out that year. Critters Pumpkin 2, head. I mean, it was the year of the What's yes. that? Pumpkinhead, Child's Play, oh, Lord. Night of oh, the Demons, my gosh. The Blob, Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Kill 
Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That was the same year? All th- I'm looking at 1988 horror movies yeah. right now. Yep. What? Yeah. Kyoto's like, had so, like the best year in 88. Dude, right? That's so you amazing. basically, you have like a very good year for fun horror movies. I would say it's like what 19, Poltergeist 3. Um, you have a very. Wait, what year is Night of the Creeps? Night 88. God. That's my other favorite is like the tone of Night of the Creeps. Every time I mm-hmm. watch it, I'm just like, this is so my thing. Yeah. No, I, I think it's everybody's thing, man. It's and when you so do your good. one-offs, if you do one-offs in between the series, if you get to do that with your show, I really hope you guys do Night of the Creeps. I can't wait to hear you both talk about it mm-hmm. and see what guest you'd have. Someone creepy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but, like, I, I think it, it's great when you get a sequel uh, in the vein of this one to where it's not even just a continuation story-wise. But uh, what happens a lot in horror films is you'll get maybe a returning character for the opening scene, you know, like all the, like, you know, Friday 13th 2 or, you know, yeah. Halloween 5 when Rachel dies pretty soon into it. What I love about Critters 2 and movies that have a genuine respect for what came before it is you get a continuation with most of your principal actors, you know, still as the main characters, you know? Like, like it's great to see Ugg return for all these yeah. movies. It's great to see Charlie, you know? It's great to see... You know, Scott Grimes back as Brad, even though it's like the last time we get to see him, you know, like, yeah, if there's a, a, a movie to go out with as far as that character, this is a really great one. I do think it's funny, though. I mean, I'm not going to talk like Critters 2 is perfect because it has it has a, an issue or two for me. The character of Megan, you know, it's a great she's a great character. I, I you know, she's she's witty. She's full of life and that stuff. But, like, they they almost set up this romance between Brad and Megan. And, like, isn't Brad supposed to be, like... Four years younger? Like, if I remember correctly, like, I don't even think he's, like, 15 or 16 in the movie, is he? I think he's, like, four years younger. I remember in the... Because I just watched this, so it's the truck scene where, like, he was a freshman and she was a senior uh, yeah, type yeah. of deal. So it's, you know... But I, I that didn't bother me so much as, like... When they eventually kiss, you have like Baron Barry Corbin and um, the grandmother, like really like creepily staring at them as they're yeah. about to kind of make out, and they're like really leering at them. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but like I have never made out with anyone in front of any of my grandparents. Oh, it's wonderful. Right. I was about to make that same joke. That's the way to do it. You know? I do have to ask though, after us after all of us like mentioning Barry Corbin nonstop, you know, Mike, I know you're into like wrestling as well. Yes. Do you think Baron Corbin got his name from Barry Corbin? I don't think Baron Corbin, by the way, <laughs> is a huge um huge horror movie buff, by the way. Like, That's it. He, um, his whole identity came from Critters he, 2. He's, yes, he's based his whole career on, on the sheriff in Critters 2. No, I remember, <laughs> like, just one night he was asking people, like, he was asking people, like, hey, what what's new that I should watch right now? Like, I'm at home. What should I, And I think like, a bunch of us said, like, get Shudder. He's like, I already have it. Um, and I recommended Baskin, and he's like, I've seen it. That movie's fucking nuts. So, you know, that's a guy that loves loves horror movies uh and people hate baron corbin absolutely 
they really can't stand him, and that just means he's really good at his job. Like he those is are always, so good. Those are always being. my favorite. Those are always my favorite wrestlers. The the ones that people just despise, you know. But they don't do that anymore. Now it's all like, well, I'm just playing a character, and yeah, you know, like this is me with my puppies, and you know, you have like Samoa Joe, who's just like super badass character, and then he's on Twitter like, hey, I'm at an animal rescue shelter. Like, here's a puppy. <laughs> You know, it's like you're I'm, almost you're, you're almost expecting Samoa Joe to be like, I'm at an animal rescue. I'm going like next picture him snapping next. Yeah. You expect him to be like, I can't wait to euthanize a bunch of puppies. today. <laughs> really looking forward to that. You know? Oh, Lord. Um, speaking of wrestling, <laughs> my current favorite wrestler is, has been Kevin Owens for years. I love Kevin Owens and his new T-shirt. Uh, I think it's keep fighting um, any profit he makes from it he's donating to two mental health centers uh oh, wow. costs like one in canada and one in the u.s like i i happen don't just love kevin owens because i'm his doppelganger um i just think he's absolutely brilliant um but yeah i thought that was pretty neat so buy a kevin owens t-shirt and the proceeds go to benefit mental health facility okay so long story short it is now too. it is now fact and biblical that Baron Corbin based his whole character yes. on Harv. On, on Harv. So yeah. everyone run with that. Hey, we got this covered. We got this covered. Write a news base on it. What yeah, do someone we think, tweet at him. What do we think of the portrayal of Harv in this movie? Because Critters One, Emmett Walsh, is basically, and I said this in the first show, like if you need like uh, the portrait of a like in over their head incompetent, you know, competent for like rounding up the town drunks and, you know, keeping the winos off the street. But that's about all he's good for. Um, that's your sheriff in part one. Like Harv in part one is kind of useless. Like he gets thrown through the house. He loses the daughter, you know, like he's n- doesn't really do anything except fuck up. Um, and in like critters too, like Harv is like basically become a sharpshooter somehow to fight not being on the job for two years. And is all of a sudden this badass, like, and they're like, Harv, you're the only man for the job to really help us out. I'm like, really? Do you remember how he was in part one? Cause he was kind of a, kind of a boob. Well, so, I, I like the way I like the way that they rewrote him for the second one. Mm-hmm. But even from a story standpoint, I, I think it's really interesting the way that the whole town kind of turned on Brad and Harv. Mm-hmm. You know, Harv was essentially kind of ran out of town because of the whole thing. You know, like he's kind of like on, you know, kind of by himself, not wanting to, you know, pay any attention to what happened, not address it. Brad's terrified to come back because he's now kind of like the boy who cried wolf to everyone. Right. You know, and I, I think it's such a good setup. And I love movies that do that. It's kind of like a trope that gets old after a while, but I still do love it. The fact that we know that what this person is saying is coming is coming. We know that this is real, but it's fun to go on these journeys with these people, the, the journey with these people, you know, kind of seeing these things come to fruition that this person's saying this is on its way. And I love that kind of reluctant hero aspect that Harv has in this movie. It gets a little over the top at the end because, I mean, like you said, in the previous movie, he was getting thrown through the house, basically. You know, and, and this one, you know, he has kind of like six-shooter, equivalent to a six-shooter, you know, like a bullet belt, basically. Right. You know, and going for it. So I understand that. It's kind of silly. But I think it works very well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's fun. In Critters 1, Harv is one step above the Keystone Cops at Halloween 5. <laughs> in Maybe terms like of a how, half step. Yeah, in terms of like how competent he is overall. And here, he's like, it's like John McClane, basically. It's like diehard in a small Kansas town. Well, if we're going like Halloween analogies for comparisons, I, I think in part one, he is like those bumbling cops. And I think in part two, he's kind of like uh, uh, Sheriff Meekler. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind mm-hmm. of in charge. You know, he's kind of like a, you know, leading, you know, you, you want to follow this guy. It doesn't right. work out for, you know, Sheriff Meekler. But I, I think Harv as the kind of hero or the heroic sheriff character in this one, I think works better for the character. And, you know, not saying anything about, you know, Emmett Walsh. He's great. I mean, his, his couple scenes in Raising Arizona make me laugh every single time. But, I mean, Barry Corbin is just, like I said, like, it's, it's everyone's grandfather. You know, it's so much fun to watch mm-hmm. in this movie. My grandfather yeah. used to throw light bulbs at us. Ah, see, I, I'm sure Barry Corbin <laughs> does that. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> like, for real? Yeah. What? You call some goddamn dopes and throw light bulbs at us in the backyard. Oh, my God. Well, he sounds fun. He was this got guy. dark. <laughs> no, but also... And he also would steal... Like, we would go to out for breakfast at this little diner, and, like, we would be super young. And he'd be like, hey, someone left money on the table. Like, go... And he would steal the tips. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah. man. Yeah. Wow. Like, Hardcore. Cool. Should be a movie no, but, uh, written about him. Dude, right? Like Eddie Bunker writes it. No, uh, <laughs> no also the character of, of Mr. Morgan in, in Critters 2, played by Sam Anderson. I laugh yes. every time. See, I didn't laugh as a kid because I hadn't seen Forrest Gump, obviously, as a kid. But every time I see Critters 2 post-1994, it's hard not to laugh because he is the dude that boned Forrest Gump's mom to get him into school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, just, it's fun that, because Critters 2, you get, you get Scott Grimes, and you get, you know, Terrence Mann, and you get, you know, all these great actors, but you also get really underrated character actors. Right. Yes. You know, Sam Anderson, Lynn Shay. like, I cannot be happier that Lynn Shay has had kind of this, like, you know, renaissance after you know Insidious, I love seeing her in mm-hmm. so many movies these days because I've I grew up loving Lin Shay in movies, you know like that Barry Corbin, Eddie Dazeen. I mean, yeah. like, how could you not love that dude? I mean, every single movie because the thing is, it's not a part for him. It's not a character. Like this guy plays himself in every movie, and you can tell, and it's brilliant. You know, yeah. like, that guy that guy created nerds. You know, he, he, he was the original nerd that basically every movie lifted off of, you know? Yeah, and from, like, Grease 1 and 2, Zap, all of the, War Games, Punky Brewster, all of those. Yeah. Like, you know, Polish Vampire and Burbank, probably everyone's favorite movie. Uh, you know, oh, and this being a horror podcast, you got to mention Rock-A-Doodle. <laughs> really good one. But, no, you know, totally. <laughs> Eddie just in this movie. Like... You know, I, I think every movie should have Hungry Heifer Manager as a character. Yeah. Because... Well, oh, good. No, I was just going to say, we through one of the shape-shifting sections, we get sexy Eddie, and that's never been in another movie, where his head is on 
it's kind kind of on the woman's body, or he has a very womanly body in the uh, the the outfit. So it's really, and you get that uh, shot of of Eddie just looking down and just yes. being kind of flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And then there's an Eddie and Eddie scene, right when he first yeah. morphs the face. And uh, you can find some uh, behind-the-scenes footage on YouTube of them sort of getting set up to shoot that scene, which is pretty interesting. It's, uh, God. See, I, I know that this episode's basically going to go down to just me saying, oh, I love this movie so many times. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just hard not to because, like, the more we talk about it, the more I realize that I love this movie even more. Like, even, you know, it, it plays a lot of, of with the kind of setup that the first one gave us and kind of like disregards a lot of it kind of like we said in the previous episode but some of that stuff i love you know like it's not <laughs> like nat said and it made me laugh in the last episode the first one was basically a prison break from the krites yeah you know this one we get painted krite eggs being used as easter eggs okay and that's nothing like easter eggs in that sequence i wish that john waters would get a chance to direct a critters movie because the oh. colors of everything is so it feels just, like polyester right it's so can't so polyester i said it was like between desperate living and polyester is the world of critters too i think it's yeah. so um and then you got to talk about the cinematographer oh what was his name oh my gosh uh, of, uh, of Critters 2? Yeah. Russell Carpenter? Yes, Russell Carpenter. I mean, the just the, the look and the camera move, I mean, everything about this film from, a, from the cinematography standpoint is well, so good. Well, if you really think about it, I mean, like we're saying with as far as like Mick Garris surrounding himself with talented people, I mean, I'm not going to take a long time, you know, going through his whole filmography right just a few films that russell carpenter shot lady in white which i think is one of the best films of all time yeah uh death warrant the perfect weapon lawnmower man pet cemetery 2 hard target true lies yeah you know titanic fucking titanic you know what i mean like this guy two and three right (laughs) those classics no (laughs) right like even even lately like ant-man like he's such a good uh, kind of unsung, this is the second time I've said this in this episode, uh, you know, cinematographer, like, yeah. the whole film, what's, it's, it's unfortunate that, like, this movie's kind of looked down on as being a throwaway, cheesy horror film, because it's yeah. not. I mean, yeah. even Roger Ebert's review of this movie was uh, brutal. Awful. He gave it one star and said that basically the first film, which was a ripoff of E.T., Starman, and Terminator... Right. This one's not even a good ripoff of Critters. Like, it was so brutal, and it's just like, did you guys see the the same movie? Like, I, I get people not liking this movie, but anyone that goes into a Critters movie expecting, like, I don't know, like, like water for chocolate or something is obviously an idiot. It's Critters too. You're supposed yeah. to have fun with it, you know? Right. Russell yeah, Carpenter also did Soul Survivor, which is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. From '84, which oh, is wow. like it's like Final Destination meets It Follows, basically, but it mm-hmm. it looks yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like this movie doesn't look cheap, no matter what you say. It does not look like a cheaply made movie, and there's almost like when you look at all the talent that you know, a lot of the folks who went on to do either bigger things behind the camera 
or behind the scenes, or you have like someone like Scott Grimes who went on to be like a really good career in television between uh, Party of Five, ER, and now um, I think he's in the Orville. I think we said last week. Yeah, new, yeah, yes. Um, so you have like these tremendously talented cast overall. It's in some ways it almost feels like a Corman esque production in oh, that totally. you have these like low budget, we're going to make a movie on the cheap, but we're going to like put, you're going to see every, we're going to find a way to stretch $1 out of the 10 and you're going to see that on screen. And then everyone is kind of going to go off and do their own thing. And with the kind of low budget filmmaking you're getting here, they learn everything they need to go on and have like a massive career down the road. Oh, it's, it's very much, I, I think, a, uh, a, a stairway to not mm-hmm. bigger and better things, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't think there is anything bigger or better than Critters do. But as far as in their eyes, I can totally understand. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking like you mentioned Ebert. I'm looking at the Washington Post review of this movie by Richard Harrington. And it ends with like Critters 2 is flat, lacking the kinetic energy, tight pacing, and general, generally better acting of its predecessor. Um, and I'm seeing that, and I'm like, this has a lot of energy to it. Like, this movie doesn't really slow down at all. No. Like, there's no. no parts of it. You have a guy get eaten by fucking man-eating aliens while wearing a Easter bunny costume. Yeah. For Christ's sake. Um, and jumps you know, through the window of a church. Who jumps through the, like, <laughs> mid-sermon, when, like, mid-sermon, when they talk about the man in white who they saw from far off. Like, yeah. And then you have, like, that per- moment jump in. Like, the pacing is great. Like, it never slows down. Um, and I don't, I have zero problem with any of the acting in this movie. Like, I don't, you know, again, we're not, you're, you're not going to get, like, Oh, I'm getting licked by a rabbit right now. Um, uh-huh. You know, you're not going to get like a masterpiece theater, but you get like a hella entertaining movie. Well, well I mean, the actors we didn't talk about already was uh, Quigley that Douglas Rowe plays. Mm-hmm. And he, he did tons of TV, like Get Smart and MASH and everything. He did a weird um, astral projection movie called Appointment of Fear in 85, which is really hard to find. But if you can see it, uh, see it. And he's still doing TV to this day. And he looked kind of old in Critters, too. So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then Herta Ware that plays Grandma. She was in Cocoon and Amazing Stories and uh, Species. Oh, she's um, great. Yeah. But this being a horror podcast, you got to mention uh, Cruel Intentions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think this being a horror podcast, we also need to uh, talk about how Leanne Curtis was in uh, Rock and Roll High School Forever with oh, Corey Feldman. Yes. Which I will defend that movie to the end. It is so disgustingly awful that I just love that movie. It is, oh, if you want to see Corey Feldman do his Michael Jackson thing. Uh-huh. No, center more than any other movie. That I really is one. don't. Because when you think of a sequel to ro- like Rock and Roll High, you know the Ramones. Who should follow that up? Corey, Corey Feldman. Feldman. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't bash a, a lot of movies, but there is a movie he directed on Amazon right now that you can stream called Busted that he directed, and it's a like it's a TNA cop movie, and it is the hardest thing to watch. I think. Uh, but for curiosity's sake, I was watching it. And there's a scene he writes in where two ladies that are in a police station are showering together, washing each other in the nude. And he imagines himself between them. And who? I mean, Feldman Corey Feldman. This? Yeah, he directed it and then starred in it. And it is 
I mean, if I, I just, I would work out or something if I was going to do that. It is, it's, he's got the body of a 10 year old. It's very unnerving. I don't recommend. I think that's the only thing that I wish Critters 2 had in it is Corey Feldman Feldman (laughs) dancing like Michael Jackson at the Hungry Heifer, you know? Oh my God. No, but like even going back to like Eber and every other person that just ravaged this movie. And, you know, our listeners are going to hate me for referencing the Hungry Heifer scene so many times, but there is so much this technical like skill on display in that scene. Yeah, I agree. Like it is the puppetry, the acting, the, even the sound effects, like that scene, I think is one of the funnest scenes in horror or sci-fi around. Oh yeah. It reminds me of, you know, and I, like I said in the last episode and this one, I hate doing the whole comparison between critters and gremlins because I do feel like they're very different films. That being said, the scene at the Hungry Heifer is very reminiscent of the bar scene in Creator or in Gremlins, and I love it for that fact. It, it shows a playfulness to the Krites, you know, that maybe we didn't get to see as much in the first film. Like they just wanted to like destroy stuff, and they do want to destroy stuff in this film. But there's this, they're, they're just assholes in this one. They love just screwing things up, and that yeah. scene I think is the perfect example of that. When as a kid watching it, like that's what we want to do. Like there's part of us that connects to the critters. Like we want to eat cheeseburgers all the time and we want to like squirt ketchup bottles and do whatever. Like, you know, it's we want to be the chaotic monsters. It's it's hard to obey everybody's rules and you know. And in that sequence, you get so many great gags. Like you mentioned the the scalping scene that returns in four and uh the the Right, that um, falls into the fryer and turns all red and weird. And then there's the one that uh, Mick Garris voices that, uh, that um, not the one that says bitchin', but uh, oh shit, the, when the eyes bulge. Uh, yeah. That, that one Garris recorded the voice for, which is, is pretty awesome. Imagine directing your own film and being like, I'm going to voice this one. Like, well, that's it's so cool. It's, it's funny because at the end of that scene, you know, like Ugg and Lee show up and just blow shit away. And yes. it's great, and it's so much just fun to watch. But what's funny is how the the Krites react to that. They're they're basically, and you know, after all is said and done, they're basically like, "Oh shit!" and they just yeah. fly out the door. Yeah, it, it looks like somebody just threw a ball of Krites as hard as they could, and they probably did. Yeah, or a light bulb for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Baron uh, Corbin. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you know about the voice actor that developed the language for the Krites? No. So he went on to like work for Disney. Oh yeah, um, he does a ton of stuff. But I found an article on Bloody Disgusting by Trace Thurman in 2013, nice. where he references the the actor. And he time he put the time code. There's a video that that I had seen, but I didn't. I had to watch the whole thing to get to the critters part. Which, as critters fans, we would endure those sorts of things. But. Um, you can still find the, this article online, and you can click on it. It goes right to the video where he talks about how he created the language of critters, taking the cadence of Japanese and the language of French. So one of the big words that they say over and over and over is, is like, ange. and the way he did that was he took the French word manger, and he took the M off, and then elongated the word. So it's, I don't know, it's just fascinating when you think of the level of, care you know they could have just babbled they could have just done a high pitch mm-hmm. babble or something but they actually cared and i think that that's that's what mick garris brings to the movie is like a lot of people that 
they care about it. Although Corey, I think, did work on the first one as well. But no, I, I think that's great, and and that speaks volumes on on I think the series in general. That you know, people are very quick to throw uh, the fourth critters. Uh, uh, film under the bus and rightfully so it's really not that great yeah but that being said i think that there is so much care and love for the series brought into every single sequel from you know barry opper don opper and everyone yeah. else and i Agreed. think that the, the one film in the series that you can just tell that was made as a labor of love and because they wanted to give fans the biggest ride of their life when it comes to the series is the second film yeah. It is everything that a horror comedy action film should aspire to be, I think. You know, like, it's a film that doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, it, it's, it's a film that, that is playful, that is fun, that gives performance, that you get performances that feel like the actors are just having the time of their lives. I mean, as, you know, I'm, I'm, not, an, I'm not a professional actor whatsoever, but any set that I've been on, you know, in the small capacity of stuff I've done, it's, it's like, it's like vacation for me. So I can't understand, you know, I, I can understand how people like, you know, uh, uh, Scott Grimes or Don Opper or Terrence Mann, especially Barry Corbin, how they probably have the time of their lives making this movie, because how could you not? Yeah. You know, like, I know Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio in the third one had a great time. And in I mean, recent all those in, photos, right? Yeah. And in recent, um, interviews he's even talked about like critters three and to see an actor like at that level talk about something like you know critters two i mean um it's super awesome when they can cite that stuff and not just like brush it under the rug like oh well, I, guess I mean i did that you also get that like remember that commercial i think that mcconaughey did for is it like jimmy kimmel i think like that and he referenced texas chainsaw he's like yeah that's oh. what i've been in and he said the name of it wrong like he got oh, the wrong sequel he didn't even remember which one he was in which is funny but like, I mean, yeah, when you have that or I, I saw an interview where Paul Rudd was talking about Halloween yeah. and, and someone said that like, yeah, you know, uh, you've never been to any of those conventions and stuff like you want to go. And he's like, nah, I just haven't been because nobody's asked me, you know, like, like yeah, it's it, people that have reverence towards their beginnings, you know, like where they came from, I think is so just so great. I love right. it. Well, with something that you didn't see, like um, Kevin Bacon for years, like you could not talk about Friday the 13th with him. Like he would just completely shut down, like would really look down on it overall. Um, and I think it's only been in recent years that he, now that maybe horror has a little bit more cachet um, overall, that he's more willing to maybe talk about his experience kind of making that movie. Even Johnny Depp, like when he did um, a nightmare in Elm street years later, um, he, appeared in Freddy's dead and the, like the anti-drug PSA. Um, and he, he said like, it on, yeah, he mentioned it on the inside the actor studio. Right. Too. Oh yeah. He, he said like, I would have been happy to have been in, in Wes Craven's new nightmare. They just never asked. Like, I think Craven was like, Oh, there's absolutely no chance we would ever get someone like Johnny Depp again for an Elm street movie after he had just appeared in the previous one. Um, but he would have been like, yeah, I would have been happy to do it. All they have to do was like, pick up the phone and ask me, I would have been there, of course. So, you know, it is interesting and it's always fun. You know, I think because like, look, as someone that loves horror movies, I know sometimes like you get looked down upon, right? I mean, you're like, why do you like that garbage overall? Like, why do you watch yeah. this crap? Um, it's like, well, because I'm a psychotic and I want to find out ways to hurt people. That's why. Um, 
I mean, like, why else would I do it? It is kind <laughs> right. of nice, you know, you do feel like your hobby is maybe a little bit vindicated when, you know, bigger performers who Well, come even from this the... film. I mean, even I mean, this Brad movie. Pitt, Brad Pitt was Freddy's Nightmares, if I remember correct. That's no, really yeah, totally, film, so. totally. I mean, and he's done kind of genre stuff uh, since. I mean, I, I will argue nonstop that California is most definitely a horror film, you know. Well, wasn't he in Cutting Class or uh, Yeah. Was it definitely. Cutting Class? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well David Dewey, like you said, he, mm-hmm. he looks down on this movie and, um, oh, I lost yeah, but so of does, thought. in a lot of ways, so does Scott Grimes. Oh, the reason I think it's a bummer about David Dewey is because Craig Garris credits him with the creation of the Critter Ball. And yeah. like, that is such an amazing thing. Like when I saw that, I was like, this movie's going there. Like this is amazing. <laughs> a ball of chewing mouth, just gnawing at stuff. Uh, and I can't imagine coming up with that brilliance and then being like, oh, how embarrassing. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. Like I was saying with Scott Grimes, even he kind of looks down on the Critters movies, which, I mean, I'm, I'm super stoked that his career went off and did great. But, I mean, Brad Brown is kind of the anchor of the first two films, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, to kind of, like, scoff at that that kind of upbringing as, or as far as, like, beginning in, in films, it, it's kind of a bummer, you know? Like... He he had no interest whatsoever talking about the movies for that Scream Factory set, you know, and it, it's it sucks because, I mean, fans would have loved to hear what he had to say about those movies. Yeah. I know I would have. Well, and we have some we get these beloved connections to these characters that we, you know, we watch the movies over and over and over. I know people that totally would absolutely hate Phantasm Five. And I was crying during that movie because, like, I love oh, these characters too. so much. And this was the end of them. And I was, I, it, you know, it's, there's so many different aspects and angles to movies. But, I mean, anyone's lucky to be in a beloved anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just did a, an episode of my podcast about the movie Freaked. And so I needed uh, someone who was famous from a childhood role. And I lucked out and got Andy Lindbergh, who played Lardass, in Stand By Me. Oh, and Wow. Yeah, and he didn't do a lot after that. And also being a person of weight and famous for a character named Lardass, it's a really interesting conversation because there's layers to that. Like, that being said, you know, people would be, like, mean to him or insulting about the Lardass thing. But he could just say, like, I don't know anyone else that's, you know, many people that have had a role in a beloved movie that stood the test of time, you know? It's like, even if that happens once when you're 14, like... I just think be proud of it, like you know, own it. Because mm-hmm. we love it, <laughs> right? No, I cannot disagree with anything you said there. I mean, look, all of us want to be remembered for something, something positive, right? I mean, yeah, it's really the, the day. Like nobody wants to be known as a guy that maybe like shits his pants in the bus all the time. Like, oh yeah. I'm uh, that well, guy. I think that I mean, without without going into detail, because this this isn't a loaded statement whatsoever. So please, any listeners, don't read into it. But I, I feel like social media is what highlights that in a negative aspect. You know, everyone wants to be remembered for something. Everybody wants to be involved oh, yeah. in something. I get what you're saying. You know, whether sure. whether it's positive or negative, something nice happens. Everyone wants to put their spin on it to say that they were involved mm-hmm. or something negative happens. Everyone wants it to jump you know, up and point fingers. Ex- exactly. And I think that that's one of the, the bad things about social media is that it kind of puts everybody on a pedestal of their own creation, you know. And yeah. I, I feel like that that can really go hand in hand with what we're saying about a lot of these people, you know, like 
everyone wants to be remembered for something. And unfortunately, when you get remembered for something that is mainstream, uh, accepted in the mainstream, you kind of don't want to be known for the things that you started out as, you know? And me personally, if I was in a Halloween film, if I was in Halloween 42, yeah. that's what I, that is what I want fucking want to be known for. You know, yeah. I don't want to be in a Spielberg movie. I want to get killed by the shape. You know what well, I mean? No one else shares that though. And since you uh, mentioned social media, it's, it can be so gross and toxic. And we were talking about it before we were recording. Um, but I wanted to say one of the great things about it is like, that's how I met you. That's how I became aware of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And when I was talking like a couple of years ago about Critters 2 to someone, they're like, you sound like you really love this movie. And I was like, I'm going to tell Mick Garris. And so I got on Twitter and I just sent him a thing saying like what it meant to me growing up in my dad's video store to have this movie um, and to watch, you know, so many times. And he interacted back. And I thought, what an amazing time we live mm -hmm. in. That, Like if I had told my child self that like someday you'll get to say thanks to the person that played a role with this talented team of people to make this movie that you love so much, I would have died. <laughs> well, it, I think One of that's, my favorite that's, filmmakers is, you know, I'm going to get... Uh, this is, you know, I'm going to get points taken away from me here, but one of my favorite filmmakers is John Landis. Um, I would say he had a stretch of time from the mid-70s to the early 2000s, oh, which totally. I think is almost untouched between Kentucky Fried Movie, Blues Brothers, Animal House, American Werewolf in London, which is probably yeah. my all-time favorite movie. So many so good places. Um, like, he was just a master filmmaker. And... About a decade ago, I had a chance to go see him speak at a Fangoria convention. We drove down for it, and he did like a meet and greet after where you could go. Oh, and, man. And people brought all these like homemade American werewolf and London models that they had made. And he took time to, and he called me a moron, which was awesome because. <laughs> I was I forgot my Animal House DVD. I wanted him to sign. Uh, I left it in the car, and I was telling him this. And I'm like, you know, the first time my wife met my friends, like she was at our toga party we threw, and I want. And it's like you moron, you left it in the car. And I'm like, John Landis called me a moron, and the world is a good place. Um, but he was looking at all of these. Um, models that people made and just marveling over them and complimenting them. He was like, if you sell it, I should get a cut, um, which I thought was like pretty funny. Uh, yeah. But he was like, just so excited to be interacting. A really good friend of mine, when she first started making short movies, like she wrote to him about how much like he had inspired her. And he wrote back this like five page handwritten letter. That's so, great. Um, so whenever I think of like John Landis, and I know people online, especially on social media, tear into him because Max Landis is his kid, um, and I won't say much about that. Um, but you know, that's, <laughs> you know, but I just I think of like the person who's created these movies that I absolutely love, and who like took the time to like write back to my friend and to. Um, really, like, personalize every interaction he had with the person. Well, I, I think that that's where... Uh, I, that's what the, one of the aspects of social media that I love is that, you know, it breaks down that barrier in a lot of ways, both uh, in a positive and negative sense, you know? Like, sometimes people feel, like, a little too close to the people that they... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, but at the same time, I mean, like Dirk 
said, you know, like a lot of people that I really admire or like I met on social media, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like creators, uh, just friends in general. I mean, I did a, I did an art, a print, I did an art print, uh, for house of the devil years ago and I tagged AJ Bowen in it. And just because of that kind of interaction years ago, like that dude's like one of like a family friend now, you know what I mean? Like, like one of the great things is like these people, like you could kind of get like really great, like friends from this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I think social media especially can be very toxic and hateful, especially lately. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to get on social media lately, but that being said, like there's nothing better than like getting friends and like talking to people about like people that love the same things that you do. I mean, I loved that when we mentioned Critters 2, how quickly like Dirk was to be like, dude, I want on this show. You know yeah, what I mean? I couldn't, like, have, I couldn't mm-hmm. have been quicker. <laughs> and I, I think that that's what's so great about, uh, about not just social media, but people in general and especially horror in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like we are the outcast and it's been said a million times to where it, it becomes a cliche for people to say like, oh, I'm an outcast from like horror, especially with it being so mainstream these days. But in a lot of ways, we will always be the outcasts. We will always be the people that aren't going to really talk about Steven Spielberg's Munich, but we're going to talk about Mick Garris's Critters too. You know what yeah. I mean? Like these are movies that mean a lot to us, a lot to us for one reason or another. And it might be a film that's a throwaway to you know Eber or so many other people because they don't have that connection to it that we do. We don't see ourselves. They didn't see themselves in this movie like we did. So many of us were brats. Like I said in the previous episode, that was very much me as a kid. You know, I didn't try to blow things up. I didn't have dynamite. But I was a rambunctious kid from a small town who just wanted to do something, you know? Yeah. And, and there's something like – there's something about coming home to a place that you hate that is so identifiable and so easy to relate to, especially for Critters too. Yeah. You know? I hate my hometown with a passion. Every time I, I, I'm there – it drives me nuts. So I, I understand what Brad is going through. I understand what everyone in this movie is going to going through, even though there's like fucking 50 puppets chasing after them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point too, I thought back, there was an interaction early this week and it didn't really go far. Like you, I think Jerry talked about your love for, I think it was one of the Halloween movies Four. yeah. Halloween <laughs> four. And out of nowhere, someone jumped in and was like, well, you're an absolute moron for thinking that. Like, so uh, awesome. <laughs> you know? Just like, I, don't, I don't acknowledge anything that doesn't have Jamie Lee Curtis in there. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're telling me he, – no, he full on – this random stranger doesn't follow me. I don't follow him. Randomly said, well, you're an idiot. You know nothing about right. horror because you like Halloween 4. And, and I love Halloween Resurrection. And I think I jumped in <laughs> – and I think I jumped in and I tried not to be a jerk. I tried to be like, hey, I think the point we're kind of making here is it's just, it's really weird to jump in when, like, I hate the movie Mandy. I mean, everyone knows that. People know how I feel about that movie. Someone posted this week, hey, it's only five bucks on Amazon. And I almost, <laughs> almost posted, like, man, I'd rather just set $5 on fire. But, you know, I'm not going to, like, when I discuss my dislike for that movie, I do it in my own threads i don't jump on to a thread where someone's like i adore this movie it's one of my favorite it means a lot to me um and i'm like well you're a jackass for thinking that <laughs> that's just well it's like you know like and i think i said to the person i'd like look it's okay to not be the turd in the punch bowl 
And that's well, that a, a and question like, I really, I really live by. Don't be the turd in the punch bowl. Well, that and uh, like I, at first I was engaging with this person. You know, I was talking to them, trying to explain stuff, trying to be polite, and then the guy started getting under my skin. And I, you know, I quote retweeted him, which I felt I hate doing that to people, but I was just like, hey, look at this guy, kind of thing. And the guy like responded, hey, thanks for that 15 minutes of fame. And I was just like, motherfucker, that guy just played me. Yeah. You know, like that guy basically just commented trying to get other people to pay attention to him. And it's just like, especially in social media, it can be so dangerous when people just want to do that. Like they're just looking, like I said earlier, they're just looking to be like remembered as, you know, something. And it's like, if you spend your time, if you spend your time wanting to be remembered for being the loud person shouting how everyone's wrong, like how are you living your life when you could poorly. be watching Critters too? You're living it poorly. Yeah. Is how true. I would put it. Um, Something I'll remember always is the brilliant music of Nicholas Pike, which okay. uh, is <laughs> part of this movie. <laughs> There's a segue. Uh, he also did Graveyard Ship, Chud 2, Bud the Chud, The Shining miniseries, Sleepwalkers. Captain Ron. <laughs> Captain Ron, and this being a horror podcast, the MC Hammer 2 Legit Video Collection. Oh my god. That's there. Can we? I want to see if we can we YouTube that. Yeah, I'm sure. It's all I'm probably sure up can. there. He also did Blank Check, just if in case you want to. It is a horror podcast. It is a horror yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I want stickers now that say Pod and the Pendulum. It is a horror It podcast. is a horror podcast. Yeah, yeah. Or, or keep, you know, we keep the, threatening the, the, to like the not. Joseph Mazzello film, film Star Kid. Don't forget that one. Oh. I did forget that one completely, so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> oh, man. I'm bringing that back this evening. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. But it's you know, true. Like, uh, you I'm know, looking there's... at some MC Hammer songs right now, <laughs> and I'm going to say, like, Turn This Mother Out is a good song. Well, that whole first album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't care. Please I'm, I'm don't hurt them. Yeah, that's the one. This is pre- this is pre. Please hammer. Don't hurt them. See, no, I see. I I would be a liar if I said during my junior high years I didn't buy the Pumps and a Bumps single. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I might have bought the cassette single for like Snow Informer. Uh, I bought the whole. I bought the whole album, man. So you know, or Vanilla Ice. I definitely was one of those ones that were like, no, man, they're not ripping off Queen and Bowie. Not but, at all. I totally went to a well. record store and they had a vanilla ice shirt and I bought it and it was like a two XL and I'm like five three or no five six. Anyway, it was not the right size and I looked even sillier in that shirt. <laughs> uh, Dude, speaking of silly, uh, I, I I I thought I bought a X Men shirt from the swap meet once when I was in elementary school and it was the year that Malcolm X came out and I thought it was an X Men shirt so I bought it and I wore it to school. <laughs> I worked to school and I immediately got jumped on the walk home. Oh no. <laughs> so I dated this girl in eighth grade, like seventh grade and eighth grade. And she broke up with me for like my, at the time, best friend. And like the day she broke up with me, he took her to a movie. And that movie was um, Vanilla Ice's Cool as Ice. Oh, oh yeah. God, I love that movie. Drop that zero and get with a hero. <laughs> I was about to say that. Can it's you so good. <laughs> so I, um, zero in that situation. 
And really, not much has changed in 30 years. <laughs> right. So, well, I don't know much more we have to say about Critters 2 now that we're talking. Going into early. Robert Van Winkle territory. Yes. Now that we've. <laughs> this is territory that we need to dig ourselves out of very well, quickly. Your story was sad. And something else that's sad is when Lee gets ambushed and they find his <laughs> severed arm. In Critters 2. And Ugg gets sad. And mm-hmm. that depth of loss on screen, I have it witnessed in Sophie's Choice. Oh. I, I agree 100%. And so add also, that to the list of movies related to Critters. Also, I mean, Charlie's sacrifice at the end, or we think it's a sacrifice, but yeah. anyone watching the film knows it's not going to be a sacrifice. Like, it's, it's such a good moment, I think, for that character. Because it's full circle, you know? It's, it's, it's him giving his life for the town that hated him. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. and it's it's great, and I almost wish. And this sounds really cruel, and I'm I'm glad they didn't go this route because I liked Charlie in three and four. I almost wish that he had died then, mm-hmm. because like as a way for a character, even as an arc, just for two films. I mean, that would have been such a good uh, way to close that arc, you know, yeah. given his life for the town that hates him. Right. And I, I I think it's such a good. Such a good ending that maybe had the tacked on happy ending of Charlie surviving just to like please, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like test screenings or something. But I, I do like that that comes full circle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the parachute return is good because it shows that he actually does something, like he's smart and that, you know, because he's kind of played dim for a lot of it. And it's kind of nice that you're like, oh, look, he did that. Even though as a kid, you even kind of feel a bit cheated because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like the G.I. Joe situation where they shoot down the helicopter or whatever and you see the guy parachuting. Well, like, okay. No well, let's be honest, though. Let's be honest. Dark Knight Rises. I think Bruce Wayne had seen Critters 2 when he <laughs> flew that jet at the end with the bomb. Yeah, it's you know, an I, homage, a direct homage. It, it is. It is. I think that... Uh, <laughs> I, oh shit, I can't even People get that don't out. know this, but uh, in Inception, originally in the dream world, DiCaprio and everyone would form a ball and roll down <laughs> the hill, roll down the hallway. Oh that whole sequence God. was a ball. Yeah, people don't know yeah. I, Well, Christopher Nolan said that he was really influenced <laughs> by Critters 2 when Dark Knight Rises came up. Originally, no, originally Barry like, Corbin was going to play Bane. That's Rocky. true. Yeah, I remember reading in the Wrath of Khan originally, it was the Critters Ball that played Khan. Scott Grimes was Nolan's first choice for Alfred. Yeah. Uh, that trilogy as well. It wasn't, and it wasn't Vincent Vega that shot, uh, uh, that shot the guy at the Pulp Fiction. It was really a, a ball of Christ. That's true. It was Sheriff Harv with his six-shooter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, people don't realize it, but Baby's Got Back is actually about <laughs> the Critters Ball. It's actually about Sally, yeah. uh, Lynn Shay's character. It's actually true. The documentary The Killing Fields was actually... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I get, right. what if on I got, a, like, on re- a serious note, on yeah. a serious note, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, we were talking about Christopher Nolan. He actually, th- you know, because he said, you know, Tarantino is probably going to retire after he makes 10 movies. How long do you want to continue to make movies? Like what other, you know, where else do you see yourself going creatively? And he says, he said, like, I plan on making movies until I feel like I've topped Critters too. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Mike, I was along for that. I was, yeah. I was along. Oh, oh, Lord. 
Well, I liked, you know, the original name for that documentary, Dear Zachary, was actually Critters 2. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I think at this point, it's Saturday night. We yes. Silly. Get a little, so, right. so Dirk, good. tell us, yeah. tell us a little bit about, you know, this being a horror podcast, tell us about your hot sauce. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> well, this being a horror podcast, uh, so we, it's like our, this is our ninth year, and um, we kind of do things a little differently. We, we go to local farmers, and we tell them um, what we need, and they plant it for us, and we buy everything they grow, so there's zero waste on the farm, and uh, we get a great cost uh, for, for wonderful produce. And then we do our own handmade blends of sauces, so the mildest being a smoked habanero barbecue. Then there's red chili lime, serrano ginger lemongrass, habanero carrot curry, uh, and then we have those four are what you'll see in stores from us. And then there's 15 that rotate throughout the year, not including chef collaborations. Mm-hmm. Having so. tried them already, and this being a horror podcast, I will say that <laughs> it is scary how good the habanero carrot curry is. Like, yeah, thank my, you. I, I love it so much. Yeah, that's our favorite. That was our first sauce. And that's what's really sort of, my wife sort of moved away from social work to, uh, to start making the sauce. And that was because of the habanero how, carrot curry. Yeah. How does that happen? If you don't mind me asking, I, I yeah. because you know, we were talking off air, um, how you and I kind of have a had a shared career in yes. social work, in counseling. How does one go from social work to like you know what we're going to start? Like, what got you guys? Is sauce making something that brought you and your wife together, or was it like something you started to do? Nah, not at, at all. We were just like. You know, rough and tumble, goth kids, and uh, just, you know, doing social work, trying to build communities. Um, and then, uh, you know, with the sauce, we didn't know how to build a business or anything, so she took a couple business classes, but we just wanted to build it like you would do building a community. Um, so that's why we go directly to the farmers, We, you know, single-origin beekeepers, uh, down to the salt harvested at the Oregon coast. Like, it's all... Um, face-to-face interactions with people is what we wanted to do rather than just like, you know, ass exploders or something like that's, that's, that's been done. Those people are doing their thing. And so our thing is just completely different. So mm-hmm. that we, was actually the original title for Critters too. <laughs> ass exploders. <laughs> I thought that was dream catcher, but all right. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was like, uh, it started off small. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, it just kind of grew. We knew we didn't want to do big groceries, so we were going for more like boutique type places and making the bottles look as beautiful as possible. And mm-hmm. um, and then it, when our daughter was born, I just realized, like, I'm never going to see my daughter because of the work that I'm doing. And so mm-hmm. we just looked at how many accounts we needed, and we took that on so that I could leave my job. And it's now been five years, six years that we've been all in. Just mm-hmm. my days are between making hot sauce and recording podcasts it's pretty sweet gig no it's great yeah and when when i'm labeling all the bottles is when i'm listening to your podcast so it's awesome you know what's funny speaking mm -hmm. of your your hot sauce i had a friend of mine that lives in portland uh she was uh at some event in portland i can't remember what and she got a hold of my wife and i that night she's like hey i got you guys some hot sauce because i know you guys are obsessed with hot sauce oh yeah what kind is it she's like yeah it's from marshall's hot sauce i was like what the fuck like i know that guy yeah, she's yeah. so excited. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we do a lot of events, and we we like all that. Just the FaceTime with people, you know, it's a great contrast to the toxic uh, online community where people are hidden behind things. Like, uh, 
you know, you find like with food, I mean, for nine years, I've, I basically just hosted a, a hot sauce tasting, you know, that like strangers come up and I just let tell them it's mildest, the hottest, you know, sample everything. And, uh, and people probably with vastly different political and religious and whatever views, um, you get along fine while you're eating chips and hot sauce. So, it's, mm-hmm. But you will know. you ever have a Critters 2 batch? Oh, the new batch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so quick wow um we should we definitely should have a i should come up with one for sure um but yeah i should say it's it's we we all say marshall's hot sauce but it's actually marshall's hot sauce so it's h-a-u-t-e um we none of us ever say that but if people are looking online you won't you won't probably find it unless you spell mm-hmm. it marshall's h-a-u-t-e and that's all because i like puns and it also kind of worked with you know, hand making something and using the best possible ingredients. And, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We just got our largest, uh, craziest order that I can't talk about, but, um, within the next couple of months, people will see a huge thing on online. It was about a hot Garris, sauce. wasn't it? It's, it's a special Mick Garris. It's a fuzz bucket <laughs> flavor. Um, <laughs> it comes in a commemorative fuzz bucket zip up outfit. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So if people want to order hot sauce, it looks like there's an online store right now at Marshall Hot Sauce, H-A-U-T-E, sauce.com. We'll put a link in our show notes here. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, people can go there. And uh, just to extend it to any of your listeners that are interested, if you use the promo code VHUS podcast, you get 20% off. So um, excellent. feel free. Uh, I, I feel like we should do a giveaway here. I think we should do something on the Facebook page and... Yeah. To, to get some people there and do a little giveaway. What's the deal with shipping? Like, is there an, is it a flat rate? Is it? No, it's by it's by weight, I believe. Okay, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And how but much you, is? What's the size of each bottle? There, there's eight ounce standard bottles, and then the hotter ones uh, are in a four ounce bottle because okay. they're just so pricey to make that mm-hmm. it make, makes it easier. And then, like that, enables me for like both of you. I'm going to send you a little uh, little gift set as a thanks uh-huh. for having me on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I can customize those because I have the four ounce bottles of the hot ones. So Excellent. It makes it, uh, it makes it pretty, pretty fun. Especially at the holidays, people like to build their own packs and, you know, dad really likes barbecue. So you can do like two mm-hmm. barbecue and one of the whiskey smoked ghost or something. So, and that discount code will be V H U S. Yep. V H U S podcast podcast. Yeah. We'll definitely plug that. Yeah. Anything yeah, that uh, works. And then I also wanted to, am I in the plug section? Is that what we're doing? I think we're doing the plug section. Okay, cool. I just wanted to say that here in Portland, we have this, this gallery called Weird War, and it's run by Dennis Dredd. He's this awesome metal dude, and it's on 35th and Broadway, and they get those Ghana, have you seen the Ghana movie posters? Yeah. You see, like, online? So yeah. he, at the gallery, he has, like, rotating ones that come through and everything, and on April 12th, Easter Sunday, at the Hollywood Theater, he's screening Critters 2 on a 35-millimeter print, and at 7 p.m. is an adult Easter egg hunt. And at 7.30, the movie starts. Wow. So for yeah. the adult Easter egg hunt, do they do, because we've done that with some friends before, where yeah. we've done um, whiskey shots and Easter eggs? Or is it just like an Easter egg hunt for adults? I thought it was an adult, an adult Easter egg was just a chicken. But I guess <laughs> it's not. I'll stop calling them that. Uh but I know we're donating some sauce, and we make something called Volcano Sparkle, which is all my wife's favorite spicy chilies dried into a powder with a little bit of citric acid and salt. 
Um, so we're putting some of those in the eggs in a container. It's not like we're basing people. Uh, and I, there might be booze. I don't know. Um, I'm not quite sure because I haven't been. But when I saw that he was doing that, I was like, oh, I got to mention that because 35 millimeter print. But they, they do amazing stuff. Like he would, um, you know, have a movie here and then have uh, Claudia Simonetti like come up and do a 45 minute performance on synthesizer after the movie, you know, mm-hmm. playing parts of the score and everything. And it's all just him. He's a, he's a wonderfully passionate uh, cinema file. Um, awesome. Yeah. Oh, and then I, if I could just plug the podcast. Yeah, let's awesome. talk about VHS. Okay, so VHS uh, season four starts in a couple weeks. And I'll tell the listeners to I'll give them a secret. Uh, the first episode is Death Spa with a fitness instructor. So hmm. that's going to be a fun one. So for our listeners who haven't listened to VHS, it's a yeah. really interesting concept. It's basically you talk about a movie with someone that's like a specialist in the chosen field that uh, chosen field that is part of that movie. Yeah, yeah. So like if it's vibes with Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum, where they're two psychic mediums, I contact a psychic medium and I say, "Hey, will you watch this movie?" And then come sit down and talk about the movie with me and then intermittently I tie it into their actual life and so it's Mm -hmm. not about a movie being good or bad or accurate it's just a way to highlight a movie that's maybe not being talked about as much and humanize sort of the profession that kind of goes with it it's great it's really fun have you ever had anyone like who's so wrapped up in the profession that when they come on after watching the movie when they come on they get like frustrated or angry about how like their profession is seen or does everybody kind of do see that's kind of good clean fun and no everyone knows that like i tell them up front like don't think about if it's good or bad or you know don't think about if it's accurate because that's not what, what i want it's not interesting to me it's a movie so i've had people really not like the movies for mm-hmm. sure but um but i also don't care so <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> It's not the part of it. Like, I, I am clearly, I have an agenda to have people talk about these movies that I want to mm-hmm. talk about. And, uh, and I want to highlight their profession. So it's, it can get a little heated. Like, uh, I think in the Freaked episode, he clearly was not a fan of Alex Winter's movie. Oh, my um, God, I love that movie so I, much. Oh, I do, too. You can hear me, like, try to agree with him in the episode. But then every time I talk about the movie, my voice is up here because I'm just so <laughs> excited. Like, uh, man, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a really, it's a fun thing. I get why people like to do the podcast. And it's weird because it changed the way I watch movies. Because now, you know, I'll be watching, like, the 1991 uh, Unborn movie. And I'm, like, lean over to my wife and be like, do we, uh, do we know any, any birthing coaches? Because I could, I could talk about this movie with them. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's fun. Interesting. You got to find like a midwife or something like that at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I found one. Uh, I also, you know, a life coach. Um, that was a tricky one because I didn't know any, no one had a need to recommend and you can really get into some weird waters with oh, yeah. life coaches. So. But man, that new serial killer's guide to living is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, also, uh, oh, yeah, okay. Really, really quickly. Sorry, I was going to mention this at the beginning, and uh, the only reason I didn't is because I was well, waiting. I'm for... certainly not going back to edit this to put it no. at the beginning. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't have to. <laughs> That's what you're uh, suggesting. The only reason I didn't is because I was waiting for confirmation to be able to uh, announce it. Uh, early on Twitter earlier this week, I said that we had an announcement to make regarding the podcast. Uh, I just got the okay to 
to say it. So is, oh, we is got the a... okay to say it. Yes. Hey. Yes. Why don't you Why don't you say it first? <laughs> okay. So here we go. Uh, Show's starting... over. We're done. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you guys. No. Uh. Starting uh, this episode, uh, Pod in the Pendulum is now part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast family. Uh, which is an excellent site. Uh, I write th- for them every once in a while, and it's such a good curated site full of every kind of voice. It's very inclusive, and we could not be happier. They have so many great podcasts on the network, and we're so excited to be a part of it. So there we go. What's it's, it no, it's, it's, it's called the Morbidly uh, Beautiful Podcast. Well, the site beautiful. is Morbidly Beautiful. Yeah, they, never, yeah. They, have, they have quite a few uh, shows. They have quite a few... Uh, Really great writers. Uh, yeah, Gosh, I'm definitely so excited. So, I haven't yeah. heard of them. So. They've recently, um, we're going to be joining our friends over from Spinsters of Horror, mm-hmm. uh, who also recently joined. Um, there are shows like they mostly podcast at night, uh, Ominous Origins, uh, the Couch Trip Cinema. So there's a bunch of like really cool, there's a good storytelling podcast on there, mm-hmm. which is uh, By the Candles Light. Um, oh my gosh! So it's a very and it's the site is gorgeous. We're really excited uh, to join this network. We're hoping that we can do a good job of like highlighting and promoting and kind of like being kind of like cheerleaders for some of the um, podcasts that are part of that network. But we are pretty excited to join that team. Overall. It's one of the most I think one of the most inclusive sites around, yeah. and I, I know that because, like I said, I, I write for them, so I, I know all of their writers, and there could not be a bigger variety of every kind of walk of life, and I'm so excited about this. So yeah, it won't change anything about the show. Like we'll put it out the same day. Nothing will change. Like we're not all of a sudden going to have to shift the focus of our show to be like, well, you know, now we're going to be just covering, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just going to edit this part out because I have no idea. <laughs> what to with it. But really, nothing will, nothing on our show, nothing on our end changes, except hopefully we'll get more eyes and ears on exactly. our show overall, which is really what kind of what everybody wants when they kind of create this kind of thing. So, yeah. Plus, it's it's nice to be wanted. It's someone who is left outside four different doorsteps as a child, as a baby. <laughs> uh, I was dropped off on not one but four doorsteps. Oh, uh, it's nice to be wanted. Yes. But I actually do remember as a baby, like my parents putting me on a doorstep and then like forgetting me and going out to eat. Like, oh. I swear to God, I remember oh, that. This is a baby. horrific podcast for you. <laughs> so this is basically me dredging up all my trauma. <laughs> yes. See, it's morbid and it's beautiful. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so next week we'll be back with Critters 3. Um, and I think Nat Remar is joining us once again for that. And then I believe Veronica and um, Brian will be back for parts four and parts five. And then looks like Alien Day is April 26th, so I jumped the gun a little bit. So we will figure out what we're going to do in between that. But on behalf of all of our listeners, go ahead and oh, join our Facebook page. And we just started one up, um, The Pod and the Pendulum, over on Facebook. Uh, we kind of want to make it a very positive place where people can come and discuss their love of horror. We're going to put the contests and such on there as well. Um, I think we'll have some giveaways and fun stuff like that. You can interact with us over at Twitter, over at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, and we will be back next week. So everybody, have a great one. Have a good one.
<laughs> right? <laughs> I would love so, it right. if that was the thing, getting to the gates of heaven, and he's like, no, you did that movie with the fake dick. I just don't, you're not right. getting in here. Yeah. yeah. What if it's like, no, you did the two Ted movies, you know? Like, <laughs> God. Or what if the happening? What if, like... <clears throat> oh, God. <laughs> what if it was the happening that kept him out of the pearly gates? Like, I, think it, I think it is, actually. Yeah. It sucked. All right. So we are officially recording. Okay.